Welcome to Behind the Stats with Matt Cross, a podcast taking a deeper dive into the sports stars from around the world so you can get to know the person behind the stats. Behind the Stats is sponsored by Buzz Physique. Use code MATT10 to apply 10% off your orders. And now, here's your host, Matt Cross. Okay, brilliant. So thank you to everyone for joining us. Uh, Welcome to episode three of Behind the Stats with Matt Cross. Uh, Today, we are incredibly lucky uh, to have straight off his um, world championship gold medal um, in Budapest, uh, the absolutely brilliant and uh, amazing person, um, but also a pretty good swimmer. Uh, and and someone who I consider a very good friend. Um, the person today on the episode is Ben Proud. Welcome to welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. That's very flattering. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, I, I I couldn't wait to have you on, but I I had to let you uh, had to let you focus on on Budapest a little bit, I suppose. Um, of course. Um, but now you've got a couple of down days before before hard work starts for commies. I thought we better better get you on. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, I've got the uh, the little gold medal here. So, oh, there it is. Yeah, it's a ha- hunky piece of hunky piece of gold. That one. Yeah, I mean you'll see it this weekend. Um, it's a special one for sure. So Definitely, been- we'll we'll dive into it. We'll we'll find out why it it sort of meant. Mm-hmm. Maybe that little bit more than than some of the others have. Um, mm-hmm. So, right, Ben. Um, as you know, it's called behind the stats. So, um, I'm going to start off by just reeling off some stats about you, and and we can we can have a, a little chat into to some of these um, wherever you want to go. Um, so, um, I'll start with obviously because it's coming up. I'll start with the Commonwealth Games um, at the moment. Uh, your your uh, success at the Commonwealth Games looks like one bronze, two silver, and three gold. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty cool to represent England and win some medals for England as opposed to just Britain. Or yeah, commies is always a special one, and probably a little bit more so for me because my first real breakout meet was 2014 uh, in Glasgow, and I got. Two golds there, 55, 53. And that was really like, that solidified my uh, my foot in the door for my international career. Yeah. Uh, representing England is, is brilliant. So it happens very rarely. So like you get a bit more patriotic and um, flash forward four years out in Glasgow. Um, I got disqualified in the 50 fly, which, you know, I was hoping to go in there and win uh, to retain both my titles. Uh, main, Held on to the 53, but you know, I lost the 55. So for the past four years, it's now been a real, you know, real drive to kind of maintain my my place uh, in the world rankings to kind of make sure I can be coming into Birmingham again, special because it's England, it's a home crowd, and hopefully retain both my titles eight years after after getting onto the scene. Um, so it's a it's a bit of a legacy me for me. Yeah. Definitely. You're making yourself sound old, mate, but you're only 
what tw- twenty seven at the moment, turning twenty eight September. Oh, yeah. September, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's uh, eight years on, and mm-hmm. yeah, wow, well, eight years down the line. Where's that time gone? Um, next next week we'll talk about uh, one that's that's maybe not gone quite so well for you at the moment, but definitely I'm hoping, touch wood, one you're going to carry on through to. Um, the Olympics, um, w- how does it feel to be on the biggest stage you can be at at, at, at the last two Olympic Games? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a real you know tough time trying to get to grips with you know not meddling at the last Olympics. Um, my first Olympics back in Rio, 2016, was you know it was it was brilliant. I was I was still still young. Um, first Olympics, like you know, I came fourth, and that was a brilliant result for me. Um, had never won an international medal on, on the world stage, so like you know, to have done it there would have been you know what I probably consider lucky. Um, mentally, physically, I probably wasn't ready for that just yet. Um, but then. Four years later in 2020, where, you know, that year I had gone a time which would have come second. But obviously, you can never talk about that. Like, it's uh, it's racing. We have to do it on the time when it counts. It was morning, so everything is different. Uh, but not to get a medal there was a bit of a bit more of a tough one. Because um, obviously, the Olympic medals are still eluding me. And I, I came off the back of that and had to come to terms with, you know, what if I finish my career without an Olympic medal? Will I be okay with that? Will I not? And you know, I'm, I'm for the moment. You know, if that's if that's how it goes, then then so be it. You know, I've had a brilliant career otherwise. Um, yeah. But I'm definitely, I'm I'm definitely eyeing up the Olympics and the podium, and you know, I still have much more to learn. So you know, it's not it's not the end of that chapter. That's good to hear. Um, and then Europeans, we'll talk uh, European long course. Um, your your stats from those sort of a, a three bronze, two silver, two gold. Mm-hmm. Um, how how different is how different to, to those that aren't involved? That is a Europeans. How different is the standard Europeans, commies, yeah. and 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 sort of the Olympics and worlds. Yeah, it's, they've all got, they've all got kind of got their own, you know, their own personality, their own type of uh, standard between them. Obviously Olympics being, you know, what we strive for as a, as a sport and Olympic sports something is the Olympics is like the be all and end all. If you, if you make it there, you're, you know, you can retire happy. Yeah. Worlds is obviously on a level. It's, it's the, the big one, uh, to do well there means you're you know top of the world and that's that's brilliant. Commonwealth is the fun one, you know they call it the fun games because you know Australia, Canada, um, you know the Great Britons and other other nations. The pressure is a little bit off, but you you really enjoy the racing. And Europeans is come somewhere in the middle. Like European racing is is really tough, um, and people can come out and do really well. Different events might be lacking, but. Um, yeah, my, my European experience over the years has been, it's never really been my full, uh, full passion to go for it. Um, but 
my last one, 2018, was actually when I was swimming at my peak. Uh, so looking back at it time-wise, that was you know, a really great meet. Um, but I think over the next couple of years, as I'm you know, getting to more of the mature age of sprinting, you know, I, yeah. I want to be able to go to these competitions. And I'm actually currently you know, questioning, do I do Europeans this year or not? Um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Like I, um, I don't know where it sits in my priority list. So. Well, it's a tough triple, anyway, isn't it, to go from from Worlds into a Commies, and and then bounce into a Europeans, pretty much immediately. It's a it's yeah. a tough ask, and as you said, you're you're at the more mature age of of sprinting now, so the body needs a little bit longer to recover than it used to in sort of five six years ago. So. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll be a decision I'll make a little bit later on. Um, I'm only just a couple of days off after coming back from Budapest. So um, my my priority, like I said before, is, is Commonwealth Games this year. That's a really, really key one for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and then we'll talk, we'll talk about Worlds. Um, obviously, your first world game, uh, Gold medal was in the fifty fly back in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um, your next sort of world medal was the short course fifty freestyle in Abu Dhabi uh, back in December yeah. um, of twenty twenty one, and then you followed it up with what four five days ago you've. You, you won the the world long course fifty freestyle um, in, in in quite sensational fashion. So, talk to me about the world championships um, as a whole. But then, yeah, really focusing on on this, you know, now being the short and long world yeah. champion for the fifty freestyle <laughs> as you are at the moment. Yeah. So, like as I as I touched on before, that um, the world champs. In the swimming world, I mean, it's on par to the Olympics, apart from obviously there's much more pressure to the Olympics, but the, the standard of racing uh, tends to be just as high because the entire world is there. Everyone has the opportunity to come in and, and do well. So there, there always is a lot more pressure going into these meets and it's, uh, um, it's a real privilege to be able to do well there. And, you know, we'll probably touch on it a little bit later, but that 50 fly when I won it five years ago was was the reason I started swimming. Um, when I started back in Malaysia, when I was kind of 15 years old, that was really my my only drive, my only mat- motivation to swim was I want to be 50 fly world champion. So doing that was was a really special moment. You know, got my tattoo for it, and it was it was something that really completed my career. Um, yeah. But as a as a sprinter we had to somewhere along the line before we had to move my my um focus to the 53 because without the 50 plan olympics we had to change events and find something else so the 53 was really my work it was my job and it was something i put a lot of attention a lot of focus into for many years yeah um you know, I probably would have never thought I'd be world champion in the 50 freestyle. Um, definitely not short or long at the same time. 
Um, but this year, obviously, you know, the stars aligned, the opportunities came and, you know, I was able to take them. So to get the titles in both of those events, um, the freestyle was kind of like a, so it feels good because it's like the hard work is paying off. Um, all the hours of grafting and grinding is, you know, it has some, something to show for it now. And that is special for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And mm-hmm. you, you've mentioned, you've mentioned before, like, obviously like the stars aligned for, for this, this last, mm-hmm. you know, gold medal win. Yeah. Can you, can you sort of dive into that a little bit deeper where it, like why it sort of was maybe a little bit more special? Like what, what stars <laughs> are we talking? Well, so many things like obviously this was my fifth world championships and, uh, you know, I'd missed out on medals and everything on finals and the first one, my second world champs, you know, I came dead last in both my events. Uh, 2019, uh, 2017 was was brilliant. It's where I won my first gold and won a bronze in the freestyle. And then after that, you know, things started to get a little bit funky in my career, like a couple of injuries and, you know, I wasn't, started not to perform in the way that I worked for. Yeah. And then 2019 world champs, you know, going in as reigning champion and someone who wants to like continue my progression onwards to take a step back was quite a, quite a, quite a big hit. Yeah. Um, and then you know, following 2019 was 2020 COVID happened. Uh, lots of changes in, in life. You know, I lost my base in Turkey um, through lockdown, through COVID as a, as a response to that. And then had to find a, a new base and then, you know, working with a new team who were phenomenal um, to, to rebuild a system and get to a good place for Olympics was a lot of hard work. Um, and we were there, like we were, we were in a really good place, but just, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, mentally, physically, I couldn't perform at Olympics. Uh, so post Olympics, you know, you start to question things like, you know, why am I doing this? Like, am I, am I really supposed to be a swimmer? Like, do I, do I continue pursuing this? And the word retirement started to get thrown around quite a bit this year. And I was questioning you know, when, when is the end of my career? Um, yeah, but you know there was still a, a deep passion for my sport, and you know a few opportunities came, and you know I, I took the initiative to get up and, and move back to Turkey by myself with with Marco here. I've been self coaching for the past two months now, and we we really weren't going in expecting much. We were just trying to get a gauge as to where the body is, you know how things are going. So to end up at the top of the podium at a meet where you know I was wasn't expecting too much at all. It was really a a special one because I feel like I was almost gifted this medal and I was gifted it based on the belief that of the people around me. Uh, the people around me these past you know eight, nine months who've gotten me through a tough time, which we can again go back to later, but um and got me through this period to the point where I was able to step on and put in the work to then you know, end up going to win. So like this medal was a product product of their belief in me and not so much of the, the work I've done. 
Um, although it plays a factor, obviously, but you know, it was special because it was a team effort and it was, uh, you know, not something I could have done by myself. Um, so very grateful and to, yeah, just had the opportunity. So. No, mate, that's amazing. And, that's my emotional. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I've, I, I, I've known you a long time and I know, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's been it's been relatively rough um but you have got you know an amazing amazing team behind you you've got you know brilliant parents you, you, your brother obviously um supports you through thick and thin um mm. um and I know your work you're doing with Marco out in Turkey is you know I think you're the biggest I've ever seen you and I've I've seen <laughs> you pretty big but you're looking you're looking in fantastic shape um so now that's I, i'm I, it's nice to hear that it's a whole team thing and not just a a me 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 um which i know you've never been but it's it's still nice to hear yeah. um no, we'll, we'll, we'll 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 run away from the stats now i think i think people have had enough about you know the fact that you're pretty good in the pool and and you're uh you're pretty fast you know the fastest man in water both short and long course at the moment so um we'll go more now then into sort of a little bit of your your background your history a little bit get to know let everyone else get to know you um so you were born in uh in london yeah in london but then in you were what five or six months old when you when you uh disappeared out to malaysia five months old yeah um and then and then grew up um grew up in malaysia um wh- what was the reason for moving to malaysia was it mum or dad's work or yeah so my dad was offered a job um to set up a what to bring across a company um he's an interior designer and he was offered the job in malaysia and they you know, they, they took it obviously with a, a two-year-old and a, a five-month-old it was a fairly big step to move out to malaysia back then um yeah. so we we moved out there as a family uh the start of 95 1995 um a good little while ago yeah and that's where i spent my entire childhood i've lived there for 17 almost 18 years um my dad is actually still based out there 20 27 years later um yeah. so malaysia was really really my home or and i, I still class it as home uh, yeah a lot of the it was where I went to school. I went to the Alice Smith School for the entire length of time. Study up there. You know, that's where I started my swimming career with Francis Q. Um, and if if swimming didn't take over my life, you know, probably I would have stayed out there a lot longer. Um, would have tried to keep myself there as much as I can. <laughs> so, do, you, do you think it's somewhere you'll go back to if and if and when retirement does come? Um, do you think it's somewhere you'll you'll head back out to at some point, or? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's one of these things. Like when you're growing up somewhere, uh, it holds a very special place, and you know that sometimes changes when you get older and you have to start working and, and living your own life. But um, you know, I've only got good memories of Malaysia and the, the friends out there, the school, the coaches. Um, so it's always going to be somewhere which was, you know, I have that very special bond to. 
whether I live there or not, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, that's a whole world away. Yes. About retirement, but um, but definitely like you know, the last last year or two when I, I started my swimming career uh, out there, I mean that really sent me on a completely different tangent of life that I I wouldn't have probably been on if I was brought up in the UK. Um, and that's you know partly because the coach uh, Francis Q who kind of spotted spotted me as a swimmer. Yeah, <laughs> um, because I can I can go into this being being in Malaysia like your it's the climate is much more appealing to being around the water and you know, spending more time you know, we, we could go wakeboarding weekends we'd be at the pool so it's much more of a water water based life you, yeah you enjoy your time around the pool so I always had a lot of time swimming for fun for enjoyment. Uh, I joined the school team when I was when I was young, like seven years old. Um, but that yes. was yeah, to the extent of uh, every other school team. We did one or two competitions a year, and it was it was good fun. Yeah, and always a big passion for it. And then growing up through the years, like I remember there was a point when I was about fourteen, where you know the social aspects of life start to kick in, and all of a sudden swimming takes up you know, a couple of hours a week, and that's you, know, you want to spend it another way. Yeah. So I was probably going to stop swimming around then. But when I was 15, I had a session with Francis Q, who um, no one turned up to the, to the pool, just me and another friend. And we had a training session together. And you know, at the end of it, he kind of turned around to me and my mum and said, if you, if you come under my belt and, you know, work with me a little bit, come to training a bit more, like set up a little thing, he said I could become national champion in Malaysia for an age grouper, which as a 15 year old, like, okay, that's, that's quite yeah. cool. See what happens. And sure enough, like, you know, training went from three hours a week to, you know, nine hours a week, started doing mornings for the first time, like at 15, 16. And he, he had a very, very unique outlook into swimming. He was very, very focused on little things. We were very, very technique orientated uh, yeah. in a racing way right from the start um okay learning about the fundamentals of the water and how to how to feel it how to be a part of it um and within a space of 12 to 16 months i went from you know your below average uh, school team swimmer to ending up winning uh, the malaysian open against you know, other countries and open at age, age category at, at 16. Um, so that's kind of where I decided that swimming could be a career path for me. Yeah. Um, so without those last two years in Malaysia, which put me in that position to say, like, I'm going to move back to Plymouth and, and start my swimming career. Yeah. You know, would have never ended up getting me here to, you know, eventually winning a couple of medals and being in the position that I'm in now. So, um, so Malaysia was a special, special place as a childhood, but also it started me on this journey and it's given me this career that I can be happy with. Uh, amazing. And are you, are you still in touch with Francis? Is he still around or? Yeah. I mean, I, I still, you know, obviously life takes over and you can't be in, in touch as much, but yeah. I still credit all Mike's success to 
to him and his belief in me. Um, yeah. Because it, it really is one of those things that I, I didn't I didn't see it myself and he saw something and him, you know, doing that, you know, it, it led to this amazing journey. And and we we had a very special belief that, you know, one day I can be world champion in the 50 fly. And in fact, it was actually his belief in me that started that 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 passion. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I say that that six year journey from leaving Malaysia to becoming world champion was was fueled by his belief in me. Um, yeah. As well as other people who came along, like started working with you and John and became an athlete and you know, all these things really paid paid it paid for that medal. But yeah. The initial start of the journey was was back in Malaysia. With him. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, brilliant. And then obviously from from Malaysia, mm-hmm. you've you've mentioned there you came came over to to Plymouth um, mm-hmm. and and started working with obviously with with, with John Rudd being your your main coach. Um, obviously, you had uh, Lindsay Dunn uh, yeah. as well around coaching. Um, I claim to have no part in in any part of your coaching at all, but I was around every now and then. Um, and you obviously also had uh, Paris Payne looking after your your sort of gym and and land training side of things. Um, so how was that? How did you find? that transition really because you always said it was great but Mm. what was really going on in your head in going from Malaysia and this beautiful climate to the uh the not quite so beautiful Plymouth Ocean City um yeah yeah I mean like uh, obviously what I was doing in Malaysia was was brilliant in terms of starting that that career path I remember you know a couple months into being in Plymouth I really felt like I was becoming an athlete. Like I was starting to physically understand the demands of having to train and putting this hard work. And you now I went from doing nine hours in the pool a week to doing you know, closer to 22. So it was a ma- massive step up. And, um, you know, also the culture change was very different. Like I used back in Malaysia, I would train in board shorts and I, I never wore goggles. Um, I won my first international race no goggles and a racing suit, but, you know, so I came back and I was a big, big culture shock, shock and, you know, having to adjust things and adjust to a new school and meet new people and understand the demands of, of real, real training. Um, so it was a complete, complete journey. And I was in Plymouth for five or six years. And obviously you mentioned Paris, he, he came along and completely opened up my eyes to, the impact of gym and performance and being a, a fundamental athlete. Um, and that really, you know, put me in a position where I could then step on later. But yeah, being in Plymouth was, uh, it was tough. Like <laughs> for sure we were doing the yeah. four o'clock wake ups and two hours, two and a half hours of training before school. You would go to school for six hours and then you do another two and a half hours. And during those two years, my mind was really set on becoming uh, the best swimmer I can be. Um, so it meant, you know, I was, I was very focused on the, the task at hand. I was very focused on, you know, competitions that were coming. And, you know, my mindset, my belief system was, you know, 
in place so that I could kind of um, really focus everything on swimming and have that real purposeful drive to to be a better swimmer and become a better athlete and and over those six years my progression was really quite linear um yeah every year just got a little bit better a little bit better um broke out broke out onto the international scene when i was there and had my first olympics um so like it was it was brutal the, the yeah. work we <laughs> like real real tough work but you know without that i wouldn't have been the athlete that i can be today um so yeah different different perspective as to you know Malaysia compared to Plymouth but you know both played equal parts in terms of preparing me to be a swimmer um, yeah so. definitely and, and and you had the obviously the support of of Plymouth College yeah. um and then you moved on to to Marjon University um oh, yeah. how how was it that how how was the school life how were you balancing that with with your swimming and then and then again uni life balance with swimming yeah i mean with all honesty you know my academics definitely took a turn for the worse when i when i was pursuing my swimming and for a host of reasons i i think the athletes who can you know balance being a student and also being a, a successful athlete like I'll take my hat off to them because it takes some real, real good organization, effort, you know, like willpower, which I, it's not that I didn't have, but I just, my only passion was to become a swimmer. Um, yeah. And I, even the, the choice of, uh, of um, subjects I chose to study were based around what I could learn about the body. So biology, PE, psychology, um, I chose all those just to understand people and myself and how I can apply it to the sports. Yeah. Uh, exam wise, I didn't do so well, but you know, I didn't didn't really bother me too much. Like I, I was so focused and driven to be a swimmer that you know, if I failed the subject, it was it was okay so long as I, I knew I was learning something that I could apply to my sport. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely like it was having that support from from Plymouth College and then Marjon. It gave me an opportunity to to be in a place where I can swim. Yeah. So, you know, there was more than just turning up. It was you know they supplied you know, facilities, the the boarding house, the the ability to train at that young age. Because you know I think a lot of people between seventeen and nineteen, there's a massive dropout rate. Um, especially in swimming because yeah. to facilitate the that next chapter it takes it takes some belief in you in terms of from the universities or schools to to allow you to have that balance and uh, yeah. on that way so it was a yeah again a, a another part of my life which I'm grateful for because looking back to it even though I wasn't fully focused on my studies it applied that um avenue for me to to continue my sport in the way that I did yeah brilliant and then let's just um we'll just delve in a little bit on your relationship with with obviously with uh with Lindsay Dunn 
and mm-hmm. then with John Rudd as as sort of your your main coaches in the pool um, yeah. in yeah. in that period in in Plymouth. How did they either together or or, or individually help you sort of take the steps towards where you wanted to be? Yeah, so they they both played, you know, the different roles, like you know, very different personalities and the way they they treated me at different times. But you know, when I first joined Plymouth, I was a complete nightmare, like rocking up in board shorts, you know, no goggles. I even think my, my first week of training, I, I wore a, a racing suit because I just never wore uh, speedos before. So they were obviously looking at me like, you know, what's this kid doing? Like this just moved across from Malaysia, like never met him before. Or like he's a complete mess um but they obviously had some understanding that you know you know they can cross something out to me and there was a there was a lot of you know passion and emphasis from on their behalf um into me which you know as a 17 18 year old you don't you don't really see that side of things you you see them as a coach and they they tell you what to do but in reality looking back at it they were the ones who were making sure I was starting to understand myself and start to get these good good habits in place. They were teaching me work ethic, work ethic. They were teaching me little things that eventually crafted my um my understanding or my belief as a as an athlete. Yeah. Um, both in different ways. Obviously John was being more more the head coach um for the entire six years. Lindsay wasn't around for the full time, but you know she was much more of a a pivotal point at the start because she she was making sure that I was making the right choices and she was a bit more of like a, a mother figure um in terms of you know still being disciplined when, when we need it but also being caring enough so that I would enjoy the sports to the point where I wouldn't say like I'm I'm done I need to leave like she yeah. just kept me always always on that line of no, I'm I'm still here I can still do it. So That's yeah. brilliant no, yeah, definitely. Uh, both both great people, both very inspirational and and things, and very lucky to have worked with them. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, yeah. And then and then also while you're in while you're in Plymouth, the like mum mum moves back across to Plymouth and brings Oliver with her. Um, yeah. Your brother. So how? How did that make things better, easier for you? Like, obviously, you've gone from being in this boarding house with, you know, hundreds of other swimmers yeah. to, to you've got your mum and your brother back. How how was that? Yeah, so that was a, it was a big family move. Obviously, all of us were out of Malaysia. That was our home. Uh, my brother went back to university when I went back to swimming. Yeah. And my mum shortly after followed um, as well to be back in the UK. And... Once Oliver was done with the university, he, you know, he made quite a bold choice to move down to Plymouth um, so that he could, you know, be around me because, you know, I mean, you remember me at 18, I was a bit of a, not a liability, but, you know, because I was, I say, I was so driven to the sport. I couldn't cook. I didn't know how to clean. I, all, all these things that, you know, you used to have to learn when you, when you leave home. Yeah. Um, he, he kind of, moved in with me and made sure I was, you know, I was being looked after and I was, I mean, poor guy, he was driving me to training every single day for about two years because 
I never learned how to drive. So he was, um, yeah, he was always like, he was always there being a big, being a big brother. Um, yeah. And it was, it was good fun. Like I, yeah, to be able to like bring the family into the, into the journey was, was brilliant. And then yeah. my mum, so when I ended up leaving Plymouth, my mum moved down to Plymouth. So yeah. Plymouth is still very much, you know, part of our life and part of our home. So yeah, no, definitely. I I, I know I uh, I bumped into your mum having a having a coffee the other day. So, um, <laughs> yeah, definitely still a big part of the the Plymouth community. Um, and then from Plymouth, <laughs> you moved to Turkey. Yeah, yeah, and and ended up being with um, the Energy Standard setup, and <laughs> and obviously being coached by by James Gibson. Um, so how how did that come about? How was the you know it's a it's a big decision? You, like you said, you've 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 made one massive move mm-hmm. from from your home in Malaysia to to Plymouth to do it again. Yeah. What? How did that come about? And so it all started um, post Olympics. Post Olympics in 2016, uh, I went off and did some traveling, some racing, and came back. You know, late November. And it was almost like my first session back in Plymouth. Uh, John John sat me down and said, "Look, he's he's got a new job role in Ireland, and he's probably going to take it." Um, and I was a bit like, "Oh wow, this is uh, so lose my coach. This is not so good." But very fortunately, the same weekend that John told me, James Gibson, who I worked with on the international scene uh, for about four years prior, um he announced that he's taking up this new job role in Turkey as part of Energy Standards head coach. And he's recruiting a couple of swimmers to come across there and train and, and live um, as they start to prepare for the ISL, International yeah. Swimming League. And it really, it, it came at the best time because at that point I was considering where I could go. And you know, he said, come out to Turkey, have a look, see what you think. And I did that, and sure enough, it's a beautiful place here. Um, blue skies, amazing hotel. Like it's uh, a dream to live here. Yeah. And we started that journey, and that's where I started my work with Marco and James. Marco being my strength coach, James being my swimming coach. And that was really, I mean, the the timing of that was was almost perfect. I, I started working with them. You know, end of January and just did some you know, brilliant work together and uh, I still class them as you know my favorite coaches you know James being a completely um, unique coach in terms of working with elite athletes um, the older guys being able to give us freedom flexibility but also kind of nudge us in the right direction and Marco being such a brilliant mind when it comes to understanding what the body needs and how to improve it um so when I started working there things were brilliant and six months later that's where I won my first gold so it was kind of like a it solidified my my place with this team and um yeah it was a brilliant time to to start yeah um so then so I, I was based there in Turkey with the team for about four years and then as I mentioned before it was closed down during COVID and uh I moved back to Bath uh, to train Mark Skimmings, 
for about two years. And then as the world starts to open up again, I took the opportunity to move back uh, with Marco, um, which, you know, has ended up winning ourselves another world championship title. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, no, brilliant. And what, you say, you say, obviously, with, with, with Gibbo, he's, you know, you class him as your favourite coach. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was it about James that was so different to, to maybe what you had with John and Lindsay before uh, yeah. that made him really, really stand out to you as, uh, as someone who got the best out of you? Well, so I think a lot of things changed, like from that Plymouth programme into Turkey. Um, Plymouth being more of a, a school system program to working with James, which is very much an elite athlete program, you know, maybe 10 to 15 swimmers max. Um, but in terms of the way James works, he's always been very individualized for the athletes. So, you know, he can, he can come into a session with James and there'll be six athletes, one coach, but there'll be six sessions because every single swimmer has something different going for them whether it be a completely different, you know, uh, physiological aspect we're working on or technical or, you know, my meters in the water is very low compared to others. So he has to modify everything. And so he'll he'll have these six sessions written and he will deliver these sessions as if he's working one-to-one with you. Um, So even though he's got a stopwatch going for someone in that side of the pool, he's still watching you and, and delivering feedback in terms of your technique and um so, and with James he was also he was world champion in the 50 breast so he's he's been through it he understands it he he knows the intricacies of being you know in your mid to late 20s um some people even older but being able to be more of a more of a teammate and to guide you through the process rather than dictate what you have to do, he, he applies and allows the athletes to come to him and to work together, um, which yeah. is something I think is really important in terms of keeping the, keeping the motivation and keeping the, you know, the internal drive because yeah. as soon as you start to become a, you know, someone who tells the athletes what they have to do, that's when the swimmers will, might lose their motivation or they might, you know, not have that inner drive to do so well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, even though I've been self-coaching for the past two months, yeah. everything was kind of based off of, you know, how he worked and what he would deliver. Um, also taking bits that I've learned from all my other coaches in the past, but, you know, I, I rate him as my, my coaching mentor. Yeah. Um, in the pool, so. Uh, cool. No, no, I mean, no, I've, I, I love James. I think he's a he's a brilliant coach, and not only a brilliant coach, he's a really, really he's just a decent person as well. Do you know what I mean? He's just a a great guy. Um, no, definitely, it's uh, it's definitely worked out. You know, you two being together, um, and then the other thing I just wanted to touch on with Turkey, um, and that that first part of Turkey, the, the where the ISL and uh, and the energy standard was was on, um, how how was the the team mm-hmm. aspect of it? How did that motivate you? Because obviously, what 
from Plymouth, you only really had Ruta, who was on a world-class stage the same as you were. Mm-hmm. So how did that team of then being with 15, 16 people who were all, you know, Olympians and yeah. world finalists, how, how did that take your, your gear up and keep you motivated? Yeah, so it was it was quite a big change because, you know, when you're joining in, suddenly, you know, your teammates with Chad Lutro, who's you know, world famous, always has been since I was a young summer. Uh, Sarah Shosham, who, you know, the queen of sprinting. Yeah. Quite a lot of people who are just big names and you know, also big personalities. And I think when you put all these people together, suddenly the amount that you do, because the entire career I've had, like from the start, has always been about the effort you put in the sport inside and outside of the water. Yeah. So I always thought I was putting in a lot more um, than some people around me. Like obviously not everyone because, um, you know, there's a lot of people who do put in a lot of effort into the sport as well. But I was always very fixated on, on my sport uh, all the time. Um. So when you're put into a team of everyone like this, you start to see how all these similar traits come together in terms yeah. of the obsession with the sport, the competitiveness, the, the drive, the, all these traits that kind of make up an elite athlete. It was just in abundance uh, when we were together as a team. You know, everyone yeah. had their strengths, everyone had their weaknesses, but you know, put it all together and, and you create this kind of team that's you know, really solid and you, you can never take your foot off the gas because there's always people to compete against there's always you know people wanting to to make you do well or um and just learning the whole mindset situation like suddenly actually this is probably a good point i remember i was in a, a minibus with the likes of chad and sarah and cameron vandenberg and and I just remember looking around and being like, Jesus, all these guys have won Olympic medals, they're world champions, they're you know, done world records. Yeah. What have I done? Like, not. Yeah. I've got a few medals at Europeans and Commonwealths, but in reality, like, you know, I haven't achieved anything. And it was kind of off the back of that, I, I was thinking like, Jesus, I really need to pull something together. And that was kind of the point where I said like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on the podium this year at World Champs. Yeah. And that was 2017. So in, in that aspect, it really does, it kind of normalizes a situation. Like suddenly winning a, a world's medal doesn't seem that daunting because you're surrounded by people who have done it multiple times. Yeah. Uh, so that really helped me to kind of take that step on and go from a, a you know good international swimmer to being someone that can compete for, for medals um, at the major meets. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, and you, you did have an unbelievable team. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we'll, we'll we'll briefly mention the ISL. Um, yep. One season one, um, you know, finalists in season two, and then and then obviously one season three. Um, mm-hmm. What for for you personally? What did you make? of the ISL, what was your opinion of the whole thing? Well, the first year was everyone was still trying to get their heads around it, start to, you know, 
I remember this very start, people weren't kind of invested as much as they were the next two years, only because it was new and people didn't quite understand the, the impact it was going to have. Yeah. Um, so that was a brilliant experience going through and winning the first year because Energy Standard being the original team, um, that constant team was yeah, first supporting and then bringing into an ISL. So to win that was kind of like, you know, maybe we were favoured to win, but it was still a tough competition. Yeah. Second year, to miss out on the win was a bit of like a, okay, the world is stepping up. They're starting to understand like they want to do better. Um, I didn't really have much of an influence in that second season. I, I wasn't swimming very well. I wasn't much racing much. Um, yeah. That third year after Olympics was, you know, really a special experience to have this team that you know was my family for for four or five years plus you know the additional group of people that come in um to be racing together with them for you know two or three months making it through round by round week by week uh, to the point where you get to the final and all these like close calls and um really everyone was so so in the moment just into it um and it paid off and that was yeah. that was one of these things but especially after this olympics it really helped to um, bring my faith back into the sport and find some enjoyment in it and it was yeah special again to win definitely and then we'll talk very, very briefly your, your your sort of pit stop move into bath obviously with with covid and everything that affected the whole world um how how did the move to Bath come about? And uh, obviously, Mark Skimmins a a brilliant coach, been there many years, and a, a brilliant person as well. How how was that relationship? So, with that with that move, it was very last minute. Um, I remember I was in I was here in Turkey uh, doing my own training about the eighteenth of December. I got back on the nineteenth. We found out that as of the first of January, there's no more NG standard because of for whatever reasons. So that put me, put me in a position where like, I had to find a new new pool, new coach, new home within two weeks. And so with the help of British Swimming, like, they put me in contact with Mark and we, we had a few conversations. And um, within two weeks, I started, started in Bath. And, you know, obviously, COVID times, everything was strange. Like, we had protocols in place. We were in lockdown. We, we couldn't couldn't choose when we trained we were given certain times and I I got injured my first couple of weeks there I got a really bad back injury uh, that first first month so I just I look back and I'm like Jesus Mark he had to deal with you know fresh swimmer coming in hadn't really met before straight into an injury like four or five weeks out of the water um, and he did such a brilliant job in terms of adapting things and working with me and just being present and bringing me to the pool each day like because you know when you start Olympic cycle with an injury you know that really really hurts your your motivation yeah um, but he just did the ability of just brings me back brings me back to the water gets gets me in the water and just so we can get ourselves through to the position where you can move on um but I think me and my we had a very similar way of thinking in terms of you know, the way we train, where we, where we, the way I want to swim as the way he wants to coach. And we had this brilliant, brilliant relationship going um, right through yeah. to the Olympics. And uh, I remember I was, I was, 
I was very disappointed that I didn't get a medal at the Olympics because I thought for the effort we put in that year, we should have gone home with something. Yeah. Um, I remember being you know, obviously hurt personally, but also hurt because this team who took me in and did such a good job to keep me going, I couldn't bring them anything home. Um, yeah. That, that was a bit painful, but then the ISL started shortly after and you know that's when I saw the benefits of the training we put in starting to pay its dividends. And we went through the ISL process and, and did well there. And then shortly after, short course world championships and we won gold, which was I think the redemption of the um, of that experience is to have a good swim come out of that. Um, yeah. So yeah. And albeit it was brief, like I, I had to move back to Turkey because, um, you know, for many reasons, but um, like we had a brilliant thing going and like I, I will credit a lot to him in terms of getting me through some of these periods. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was short, short time, a year and a half we spent together, but he had to deal with so many different, different things and factors and stresses. And um, so, yeah, he did an amazing job just to keep me keep me in the water and, and prepare me for where, where I am right now. Definitely. And look, we'll, we'll sort of talk, we'll talk about that now. And I know obviously through our, our friendship and, and, my, and my friendship with your brother, Oliver, um, a little bit of, of what's gone on, but I know post Olympics, you know, into worlds and Christmassy sort of time and, you went through, you know, some some pretty dark dark days, and you know, I don't know if you'd call it depression or or, or very close to that. But how how did that come about? And do, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Or yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to talk about because obviously, standing here right now, I'm I'm better and uh, I feel good and happy and doing well. Um. Maybe it's better I spring back you know, to the start of my career, which is where probably everything stemmed from, because um, essentially swimming kind of stemmed from quite a sour place in my life. It was a tough time with a parent's divorce and you know, multiple things that maybe I don't have to go too deep into. But yeah, swimming kind of started off on a, on a bit of a back foot, like I, I was escaping from a few things and um, I used swimming as an opportunity out of it. And I didn't didn't talk to anyone about it. I just kind of, you know, held on to this and just went with it. Yeah. And, you know, over the past 10 years, you know, I've been through my fair episodes of you know, anxiety and depression and, and all these bad places. Uh, it's, it's never fun, but, you know, I was always in a good place. So I never really felt like I deserved to be struggling in a way. Um, and, like, it did almost it almost made my career by having these, these things I to deal with because I was always, you know, chasing something better and I was trying to improve things or trying to, you know, run away from certain things, which led me in this direction of becoming a professional swimmer. But obviously everything has its, everything has its time where it has to come out. And, you know, I was putting this off so long and, not not dealing with it, not talking to anyone, um, which was wrong. But you know, 
yeah, I had to learn for myself when the right time was. And so with the COVID situation and the Olympics and then, you know, a lot of anxiety, like pre-Olympics, you know, with isolation and um, not being where you want or around the right people, like, because you're just, you know, I think a lot of people dealt with COVID quite in quite a bad way, which was you know, hopefully those who have have started to come out of it on the other side and start to realize that actually the world is opening up again. Yeah. But I think it put some people who were struggling into a worse place. Um, so by underachieving uh, in my yeah. my term Olympics this year, just threw me straight down into this really bad place of you know why am I swimming and uh, I was for sure in a quite a bad depressive episode for a matter of months and um eventually led me to hitting uh, what I would consider for myself as as rock bottom and you know not being anywhere nearly motivated or you know having no positive outlook um but almost as soon as I hit that it was almost like the breath of fresh air like you know when you hit rock bottom the only place you can go is 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 up and I was um for the first time in in many years I had this clarity in terms of what I had to do and you know how to get myself out of this because when you're when you're going to come back out of it in no way do you want to put yourself back in a position where which has led you to to have these struggles um so that's what's led me on to you know you know being a bit more open, being able to speak about it with you know friends or family, and and yeah. and in, in doing so, like actually, like starting the conversation has been amazing to be able to share your thoughts or your your struggles, and then actually people yeah. come back and say like, well, actually, I've had to deal with this, and it's, yeah. it's been really insightful and, and positive to to be able to open up about it a bit more, um, and it's it's just kind of. You know, I think the reason I put myself in that position was because swimming takes up such a big part of your life, and it's it's very it's very heavy on your lifestyle. You, you can't see certain people. There's many restrictions, and I wasn't living uh, a very enjoy- enjoyable life. I was living to yeah. swim. Yeah. So these past couple of months, I've really managed to look inside myself, like decide, like you know, what it is that I want to do, and and how do I want to behave and what do I, what do I want out of life? Yeah. Which has actually made me be a bit more true to myself. Um, because so I've, I've always been quite a, quite an introspective person. Um, and probably one big thing that we haven't touched on yet is the, the mindset that I've always had in terms of uh, the law of attraction belief um, in swimming, yeah. the, the law of, you know, you you almost put yourself in a position of being where you want to be, and you yeah. you trust your intuition, you listen to yourself, and you you make these these choices based on what you fundamentally believe is true, or what you believe is going to take you to this place that you want to be. Yeah, and that was really how I behaved at the start, the first six years of my career. I was very very intuitive in terms of listening to myself and what my body needs and what my head needs and what's going to make me better and and then swimming takes over and then the pressures of being 
a successful athlete take over and suddenly it's not intuitive it's 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 you're making these decisions based on external uh, forces yeah. act upon you and i think i spent a couple of years just falling into this trap of not doing things for the right reason not not expressing things the way i need to so i've really had the, the pleasure of the past couple of months to be able to get back to a state that i believe in the the, the law of believing in what's right and manifesting things and uh, yeah. because that has ended up being i think when you're true to yourself you you're just so much more abundant in energy and and your belief system like it you can just align things much better yeah and you know unfortunately like these these more darker traits that a lot of people have to deal with it clouds this ability to do so um so so yeah to be able to come out of it on the other side and, and especially to be to be taking a medal back is is something very special because um i don't know if i've touched on it yet but like these eight months ago was you know a real real tough time for me um worst yeah. worst place i've been in for you know easily my life it was just you know a tough tough time yeah but the team that have been around me so you know mark skimmings who just kept me coming back into the water um not even for anything too intense just like just just come in when you need to when you when you feel is right um yeah. that brings me a session where i was like okay i'm ready to take a step on and then i moved back to turkey to train with marco who as a gym coach he is so emotionally invested into our our situation our our program like yeah and our and our belief i think you know i i think marco believes in me far much more than i believe in myself yeah. um but that was facilitated by james who kind of you know managed to get me out to turkey again and and gloria the hotel who really allowed me to move back to somewhere where i'm, where I'm happy and where i can love the sport so that's kind of why i say like this gold medal that I, I got a couple of days ago was the product of their belief in me and it was yeah. much more of a team effort than than an individual um yeah individual yeah. goal or anything because without that support network and without the people who were around to get me through this like you know maybe i'd be signing off from swimming and and moving on to something else but um i still love the sport and that's that's the thing is like i still want to be around i, I want to get through these situations and and move on to better things so yeah so yeah a little insight <laughs> no I, I, and i think i think you're right you know it's the, the more you can be open about it and the more you can now talk about it the more of the weight is lifted, the more yep. of the, the sort of you allow, allow a bit more of the light in. And, you know, like you said before, like talking to people who you maybe didn't know were going through things and then you find out they've, they've had episodes and, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's a massive, massive thing. And I think more so, I don't think I'm wrong in saying more so in, in men, um, you know, there's there's the classic old man up and all this sort of stuff, but I think it's it's definitely harder f- as 
as a as a male it's harder to express that actually do you know what I am struggling and I do need I do need to go through something and I do need to speak to someone about about what's going on and and just get get sort of like that that fog removed from what you know is the right decision to to make anyway yeah like because back in December we were you know going out for you know just meetups every now and then and like there was almost like a understanding that both of us would probably need to speak about something but you know it's it's really hard to bridge that gap especially yeah. when it's something and it's, it's easy when you come out the other side to to maybe say like it's okay to speak about it but you know it's hard to really get someone to be like okay with with just saying like look i'm struggling can i yeah. talk about it um and it is it, it's a shame because you know the breath of fresh air afterwards when you can have these conversations i think is i mean it makes you realize like why do you put yourself through that why do you have to go through that in the first place um but yeah, I mean that's why that's why I feel okay talking about it now because you know I hid it so much in the past um, from everyone that yeah. you know I only suffocated myself. Um, whereas now, like it's opened up more conversations with friends and family that you know I didn't realize were there. Um, yeah. So. No, well, I mean it's it's brilliant, and you know on a on a personal point i'm i'm incredibly proud of you mate so i'll uh, i'll add that in there um right let's talk about um stuff that's coming up um uh i know we touched on it briefly but you've got commies in a in a, in a couple of weeks now um yeah. what's what's your sort of hopes hopes dreams what are you hoping might might come off the back of the the gold medal at worlds what's what What's Ben well, Proud's dream? This is uh, touching it earlier, but like this, this Commonwealth Games this year is more my it's my legacy meet in a way. It's yeah. to to finish off an eight year um, eight year career being in the international stage. To start it because when I was nineteen, I won two golds, and I consider myself quite lucky to to have done so. Yeah. I really just want to drive home that you know I've, I've been working this whole time and you know I can come back and win it eight years later. Obviously, there's some there's some real competition. Um, some guys in the fly and the free who have really stepped on this year haven't made it simple at all. Yeah, and I'm in a very dangerous position not to get too happy with my achievements last week because you know yeah. there are people always there attacking you. So. Um, and then, you know, this is yeah a bit of a strange year. Like COVID's coming to an end, and you know we have only have two more years to the Olympics. I'm I'm sticking around to Paris for sure. Um, that is I've always believed in. And you know, based on what's happened the past year, I'm I'm going to keep doing what I do if I love it. And you know, as soon as I stop loving it. And I, I believe that's um, if that's something I believe in uh, fully. That's when I can say that like, I'm I'm going to walk away, but I won't let uh, a negative aspect of my life 
take me away from something I love. Um, so brilliant. I'll keep. Ah, oh, mate, that's brilliant to hear. Um, all right, so we're go- we're we're going to finish with the last three little bits I've done on every podcast so far. Yeah. Um, the first bit is. I gave you a heads up on this. Just ask you to pick three mm-hmm. songs that are have a meaning, have have some kind of resonance to you. Um, what what are those songs? What are the ones you've picked? So the first one is is more appropriate for the past week because this was like I hadn't really heard the song before, um, and I listened to it when I arrived at Budapest uh, about ten two weeks ago. Yeah, and it's I'm alive by Natty and the Rebel Ship. Um, you can look it up later. It's not something I've heard yeah. before. It was really like a, it's a feel-good song. Like it's a bit more on the regular terms, but um, when I listened to it, I was just like, you know what? I just feel fucking grateful to be around, yeah. to be alive, to be, you know, doing what I do. So I would listen to a song uh, every time I started my process to go racing. Every time yeah. I would about to sit down to do my prequel this would be a song to listen to and you just like it fills you with this just real strong positive energy that you know i think i credit it to to being in a good place when i got up to race yeah brilliant um, the next one is a is one that's been around for a long time it's been a, a special special song um by john butler it's uh it's called ocean and it's it's basically this 10 minute journey of John Butler and his guitar. And it's absolutely phenomenal to watch, to listen to. And it's, you can tell how personal it is to him. And I've, I've yeah. listened to some interviews about speaking about it. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's basically his life's journey. And it's the one song he, he's had for years throughout his entire career as being a musician. And he, it's changed, it's adapted, he's added more to it, he's taken things away, it's, it's, it's real, this, it's a real, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's not just a song he wrote and then plays and then performs, it's something that he, he lives, he, he breathes, he, he's a part of it when you, when you, if you watch him on YouTube performing the song, yeah. there's not a single word in it, it's just him and the guitar and it's a, uh, it takes me through a journey every time I listen to it. Um, it takes me through, you know, good, bad, ugly, you know, motivational. Like it's, uh, and it's been something I've been listening to since 2013, 2014. Um, on and off, it just, it, it sets me in the right direction. Um, because, yeah. And the next one, I, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint the third song because I have to give credit to my favourite band, which is uh, Fat Freddy's Drop. Um, okay. A New Zealand band, uh, the, you know, a group of seven or eight people who, um, you know, they're, they're an improv band. They, they came together as a group and they, they produce these songs and they go through these um, concerts and they, again, a bit like John Butler and, his, and Ocean. Yeah. Every song is a, a product of the moment. Like you know, what feels good, what feels right, and yeah. I think there's real positive energy that comes from listening to them. And yeah, they've got many songs that I I would class as my favourites. Okay, uh, "Wandering Eye" is is a is a song that you know 
it's probably the, the most recognizable but you know you can listen to they have a an hour-long um session called lock-in on youtube which is basically okay. them acoustic and there's it's just them going through the motions and playing these songs that they you can tell they love yeah and that freddy's drop have been so with my career uh, spanning back to 2011 uh, the law of attraction, which I touched on very briefly, was yeah. a big part of my belief system in terms of what I'm going to achieve and how to do it. And music helps me to facilitate the right uh, frame of mind. And Fat Freddy's Drop has always been my go-to in terms of it, it takes me on these journeys and it, it brings me into the right uh, frame of mind to be able to get that you have to really understand yourself uh, in yeah. order to move on um, and do things to be successful. And you really have to have that in, intrinsic uh, belief. And um, so when I listen to their music and it's obviously different for everyone, but it brings me into a place where I know what's true. I can get those feelings of gratitude and the feelings of you know, inspiration that, that show me, the direction I'm about to head in. Okay. You know, what I want to achieve next or what I want to do next as a person, as a swimmer. Yeah. So, yeah, Fat Freddy's Drop is is song number three, but it's like more than just one song. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got many positive memories from them. Brilliant. No, they're great. I'll, uh, I'll definitely be looking some of those up later. Um, <laughs> the, the next bit, um, now, I haven't prepped you for this at all. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you three would-you-rather questions, um, and I just want you to give me the answer that comes to you off the top of your head. Um, so would you rather live home or away? Away. Okay. Um, would you rather eat sweet or savoury? Uh, savory. I don't know. I've got a big sweet tooth. So <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> big last night. Chocolate is my go-to, but you know I, I could never turn away a good a good pizza or sushi or something like uh, savory. I think. Okay. Uh, and the last one: Would you rather go back to being Ben Proud at ten, mm-hmm. but with your with your current mind? Mm-hmm. Or have ten million popped into your bank account as we speak. Oh, that's awful. Um, <laughs> I would take the ten million. <laughs> <laughs> this journey has been intense. It's been it's been a, a roller coaster. Yeah. I don't know if I could again. I don't know if I could go through everything in the right way. Um, although you, you can get some inside knowledge, but um, I'm just, I'm really happy to be in the position I'm in and to have had the journey I've had. Um, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's, it's all part of it. And you know, yeah. my belief in life is, you know, you go through these ups and downs and that's just the, the nature of the, well, the law of nature. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think being in the present moment with an optimistic future is how people should be. And, you know, 
never have a regret as to if something happened because that tends to you know put you in a position and it takes you down your natural life but so long as you are true to yourself as much as you can be then you know that's that's the best way to live brilliant um and then ben the the last bit is um i guess over to you because i asked you to come up with with two questions that either you want to know about me or you've never asked me before, even though we've known each other a long time. So yeah, over to you. All right, I'm going to go quite deep with you. Okay. What's the proudest thing you have about yourself or the proudest traits or the, you know, something that you're like, this is me. I'm Matt Cross. I would never change this about myself. Um, okay. Um, I would say probably how much I care about the people that matter most to me. Um, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'd, I'd do anything for anyone. I'd get, I'd give my last penny to, to anyone if, if it meant they were, they were okay. And, and, uh, you know, regardless of what it meant for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, my ability to just to just care about everyone that that is important to me in my life is probably what I'm proudest of. Yeah, I, I thought you'd go down that route. Yeah, you've you've always been a solid. You know, whenever you're around, you're you're there, you're present, and you know, I think everyone who's who knows you well enough to be friends with you, that's something they probably always say is yeah, a great trait. Yeah. You're a great friend. <laughs> Next one, what is the next three years going to look like for you? Uh, okay, so um, got a meeting uh, tomorrow to, mm-hmm. to iron out a couple of things. Um, so um, hopefully in September, uh, doing a master's degree. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to roll into sports coaching or sports psychology yet or if I'm potentially going to do both Mm -hmm. um which is a little bit daunting uh because I never did a I never did an undergrad degree but obviously through my my years and years of experience now I I qualify as having worked as a a a graduate level um so so that's big um obviously the the podcast is up and running now um uh, i'd i'd love to take this this further i really enjoy doing it i think i'm you know i'm quite good at talking shit on camera so so that's that's always a positive um and then the the next thing is I, i'm probably going to be off deck within the next 4 years i would say um you know I, i'm only 32 but i've been coaching for for 15 years already so um i think probably another two or three years while i do my masters i'll carry on but um the plan is to start a a business with a a former colleague of mine someone you know callum doyle um the plan is to start a business with him looking at coach welfare um so going more into obviously with with everything that's gone on and the negativity around the world and, and things, I think people forget that 
the coach goes through the four-year Olympic cycle and, and journey and, and feels the disappointment as well. Um, and there's lots of support for athletes, but maybe not quite so much for for the coaches, particularly in Olympic sports. Um, yeah. You know, I think football's got the money behind it to maybe offer a little bit more. Same with rugby and cricket, but the Olympic sports, you know, especially someone at your little club in Manchester that's maybe got this exceptional kid that's going to make the Olympics and, and then misses out, I think. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about how the coaches are looked after and I see my place much... I think I'm much more valuable off the poolside than I am on it. Um, So that's my... But I don't think I'll ever leave sport behind and and swimming will always be... Swimming will always be around. um, That's for sure. That's Um, brilliant. I think that's something that, you know, it's hard for the athlete to see... Uh, because that's it's always about the athlete. Um, yeah, they take the limelight and they take the attention. So I think that's a really positive thing to be able to offer some help to, to those who might need it, but who don't have access to it. And that's yeah. uh, I can see that. I can see that from you. So uh, make, no, make uh, well, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I've got to get. I've got to do the degree first. That might. That might. Uh, that might wear me out and I might end up doing what you've done and just disappear to Turkey or something for a couple of years. Come well, on, I need a coach, so <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see. The offer the offer's there, mate. You know you can always uh you can always give me a call if you need a pair of eyes to come out and watch. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um well look Ben, that's that brings us to the end. Thank you so so much for doing it. Um you know I I I appreciate you being as as honest as you have been and um, you know, I know, I know you're busy, but taking the what is now what like an hour and a half to to do this. So yeah, I really appreciate you um you doing this. Um, and you know, look forward to seeing you this weekend because I know you're popping back to Plymouth. So I'll I'll definitely uh, pop over and have a coffee with with you and your mum um yeah. while you're back. And yeah, I'll be seeing you soon. But for the listeners or anyone who's made it this far like <laughs> congratulations it was a long talk so i hope they have enjoyed it uh i'm sure there's lots of people around the world that that are interested in you met and they'll have listened all the way through to this so um yeah ben thank you again um and as ben said thank you to everyone that's listened uh whether it be on spotify uh or watched our our faces on youtube as we've sort of stared at a camera and spoke to a microphone um just a really quick shout out to uh, the sponsors, uh, Buzz Physique. Uh, I am wearing one of their hoodies at the moment. Um, they're uh, a gymwear company based down in Plymouth, um, r- doing really, really well. If you use code MAT10 on www.buzzphysique.co.uk, uh, you get yourself 10% off your order there. So massive thank you to them for being involved. Um, ben? Thank you very much, mate. We'll call it a day there. And um, yeah, really appreciate it. And good luck for commies. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. See you soon. See you soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to Behind the Stats with Matt Cross, sponsored by Buzz Physique. Go to buzzphysy.co.uk and use the code MATT10 to apply 10% off your orders. 
make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on Twitter at Behind underscore Matt and on Instagram at Behind the Stats with Matt. Until next time.